What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Keith and Mike Watch Deep Space Nine. We have a very exciting and interesting episode to talk about today. We're talking about Deep Space Nine Season 1, Episode 11, The Vortex. Uh, I have little dogs with me here today, so there might be some dogography. <laughs> Can't wait. Mike, how's it going? It's going great, man. Can't complain. Uh, it's a beautiful day. I uh, went to Hershey Park yesterday with my nieces, so that was fun. Hershey Park is cool. Fun. I guess everyone else knew it was a national holiday, so it was crowded. But nonetheless, I'm feeling rejuvenated because of those 18,000 steps. Happy to be here today with you, Keith. Let's talk some Star Trek. Yes, indeed. Happy late Juneteenth to everybody. All right, so we have... Uh... Really interesting episode. We, we're laying a lot of groundwork. Uh, I said this last week, but this this week it is also true that we're we're learning a lot of stuff that's going to be very important moving forward. But uh, before we do that, Mike, we have some other things and other people who are very important to us, uh, who are taking advantage of the opportunity to become producers on this money-losing venture we call Keith and Mike Watch Deep Space Nine uh, by joining our Patreon at patreon.com slash K&M. Mike, tell us who our patrons are. We have the illustrious grouping of Brian Kaufman, Casey Clark, Cloud Lover 69, Jorge Navoa, Alan Zimmerman, CRM Productions, check them out, of course, and Charles Babbage, and let's not forget Anne, who's decided, you know what, just Anne is fine. <laughs> I think that just shows good judgment. Absolutely. Uh, well, all of those fine folks can find really fun stuff on our Patreon page, including bonus episodes, Ask Me Anythings. You can watch Mike watch the episode of Deep Space Nine before you even watch this, so you can get a little teaser on what Mike is thinking as it's happening um so lots of fun stuff there go check it out uh thank you very much uh we really appreciate it so uh what do you say we you know beam back in and talk to each other there we go and uh <laughs> i i i had like the little narc like why i'm not on camera why am i even doing this if i'm not on camera well you can tell who came to which one of us just came from therapy <laughs> that's true that's true. Yeah, if I feel extra grounded, it's usually we record this on Tuesdays after therapy. So I'm feeling good, feeling grounded, feeling excited to talk about this episode. And in fact, uh, of those watch-alongs with Mike, I don't usually watch the Mike watch-along because I don't want to get a preview of how Mike feels about an episode or any thoughts that he might have. But just for fun, I actually watched... Mike watched this when I noted the episode, and so it was really interesting to watch Mike notice or not notice important things in the episode as it happened live. Uh, it was entertaining. Yeah, it's, it's you know Mike sitting on the floor. You know, it's 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 a it's a a thing I've seen in real life too often. But uh, well, was a, this was an interesting week for me because I was getting cozy, I was getting comfortable, and. Uh, usually that's kind of my position to watch a baseball game or just some, some stuff when I'm just in my office hanging out. And I was like, you know what? Usually I, I'll do my recording of this show on Monday after we do Oops so that I can be fresh uh, in the noggin. But I was I was looking for something to watch. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to get comfortable and watch Deep Space Nine. Now, 
I learned something very important this week that will carry mm. me mm. carry me forth. So I watched the whole episode. I jotted some down, some notes. I I, I took all the screenshots, and uh, at the end, I was thinking, oh, you know, we learned so much. And mm-hmm. I was formulating my thoughts, but I realized I had, I had forgotten a couple screenshots at the top, as I tend to do, because I get watching and I forget to snap the screenshots. Anyway, I go back and watch the first probably 10 minutes of the episode again, mm-hmm. and I recognize that, and I don't know if this has been happening, and I'll see if it happens forth. Within that teaser segment that you always pitch that, when you're mm-hmm. going through the screenshots, they literally dropped breadcrumbs for every plot point. They poured in every plot point. And I was like, you know, you could actually watch the first three minutes of this episode mm-hmm. and you will ha- you will know everything that you know 45 minutes from now. Uh, well, in some ways, yeah. I mean, certainly in this episode, they, they Quark, you know, we're going to talk about it later, but like Quark does a bunch of speculation. Heavy lifting. <laughs> that then gets, It's almost you know, like gets, he's a soothsayer. He he is, although based on Odo's behavior, it's not a not a wild extrapolation, and uh, and of course we, by the end of this, we don't necessarily even know if this guy's information is accurate true. either. True, true. Uh, but we might know later. But before we get into all of that, let's talk a little bit more about the world of the show. So let's let's just set the scene. Let's let's take ourselves back into the time machine, back to 1993. Uh, I was 13, uh, living life in uh, seventh grade. Seventh grade sucked. But you know what didn't suck? Deep Space Nine. Mm. This aired on Sunday, April 18th, 1993. The top song continued to be, and I know I'm here for it, you're here for it, Mike's rendition of Informer by Snow. Let's let let's hear. Informer, you should know I did not write this song at all. I like your boom boom now with consent. Well, that ties in really well with the top movie this week, which is, of course, Indecent Proposal. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, that that definitely, uh, it all ties into this Indecent wonderful Indecent Proposal, melange. which has become a verb in my in my marriage, because every once in a while, someone, out general recount a story, I'm like, you got Indecent proposal Oh, yes. Well, uh, she certainly gets Indecent proposal more often than we do, but it's it's not zero. So, uh, so there you go. There's the, so uh, much. There's so much in that. <laughs> the uh, speaking of interesting times, the uh, New York Times headline is two of four officers found guilty in Los Angeles. So this is in the aftermath of the Rodney King trials. Mm. This was not the first Rodney King trial. This was the second one. Uh, for violating Rodney King's civil rights after the acquittal, right. which started the riots in 1991, which is a, uh, there's a fascinating podcast. Uh, I think Slate put out a great podcast all about that. Uh, fascinating, infuriating, enraging, but really interesting stuff. Um, but there is a Star Trek tie-in to the uh, the Rodney King riots because my uh, my uncle Jim, who did the sound effects, and this was back before Deep Space Nine. This was on Next Generation. He tells a story of driving back from work during the riots that very day because he was he was leaving the Paramount lot. He was working on an episode, and and had to drive back through it. It's a it's harrowing when you when you really think about it. But uh, 
Anyway, but today, uh, at least two of the four were found guilty for violating the civil rights after they were acquitted of the beating. So uh, lots of sort of difficult, especially here we are the day after Juneteenth, <laughs> um, uh, but uh, certainly interesting context for when this episode aired. Just a pitch, just a pitch. And, you know, Keith and I have discussed this. We... We wear our politics and our thoughts and stuff on our sleeves, but in no way do we are we trying to focus on any of that because this is about watching Star Trek together. But to your point, Keith, could you mention that that podcast again? It's a Slate podcast. It was a it's a Slate podcast about the uh, the Rodney King, but the, the, well the the riots, the trial, the uh, situation. Let me see if I can find it. Um, yeah, while you're doing that, I'll mention. I only mention it because. What I have found, and I'm sure this goes for a lot of us, and it, and it ties into us sort of rewatching this television show so many years in the future, is that the the hard memories you make at 13, especially with current mm. events, are very much framed with your worldview at 13. So yeah. when you go back, even the the Clinton scandal and that how that the machinations of all of that, you know, we were I was very young, so you think you remember certain things, but when you go back and watch more current sort of, especially now long view analysis of certain of those current events. It's striking how, well, not striking, actually, it makes perfect sense, but it's it's the juxtaposition of your memory of something at that age versus how it actually went down is is pretty stark. Well, and uh and the the it's a slow burn did a season uh about that. It also informs Star Trek, right? Because sci-fi is about what's happening in current events told through a sci-fi lens right, because right. you can talk about it a little differently and we're going to uh in a couple of seasons we're going to spend some time in Los Angeles in the aftermath of this sort of a thing so uh Alrighty. there's there, there's there's a lot that's going to happen there so it I, I I do find it interesting to talk about what's happening in the world at that time because it informs everything else uh so all right. Well, enough of that. Let's con- let's get back into the world of the episode of Deep Space Nine, season one, episode eleven, Vortex, which was directed by Weinrich Colby, a veteran Star Trek director who last directed Past Prologue. This episode was written by Sam Wolf, who also wrote uh, The Vengeance Factor on the Next Generation, and uh, I'm going to bring him up again in our trivia section. Uh, but we're not going to get to our trivia section without a little bumper that goes like this. Now Keith, waste your time with Trivial Trivia. Okay. So this episode uses is the first worse, first use of the word changeling, which uh, we will hear a lot more moving forward. So those of you who know what's about what's going to come over the next seven seasons, which Mike does not, certainly picked up when we heard that. Yeah, I started taking shots every time they said it, and I was wasted. Pfft. Well, that's that's no different. So uh, another thing that I find interesting about this, the, the virtual effects for the camera vortex were actually reused from the Wrath of Khan. Uh. Recolored and flipped. But uh, that's why it looks so good. Yeah, Keith will know how impressed I was by the effects. Yeah, well, I mean, at least of the of the uh, the Vortex. Mm-hmm. The digital. Was, was, was Wrath of Khan. Um, 
Yeah, so uh, while I give this next piece of trivial trivia, I'm hearing myself, I think, bouncing back through something on your end. Probably my earphones, but... Uh, Probably your cans. Yeah, that's because I'm using a different microphone today, Keith, that I won't use again, but uh, you're going to have to yeah. just deal with it, unfortunately. Okay, all right, well, fair enough. You know, the, most of this show is just listening to uh, us you know, battle with tech. Mm -hmm. So here's the piece of trivia about the writer of this episode, Sam Rolfe. So Peter Allen Field came up with the idea for this episode, uh, and it was based on the 1953 movie The Naked Spur, uh, Oscar-nominated film. And uh, so what did he do? He hired the writer of that movie to write this episode. So Sam Rolfe was actually nominated for an Oscar for The Naked Spur. And they're like, you know what? Just come on and write, come on and write this episode. We're going to base it on your movie anyway. So I thought that was interesting. And our last piece of trivial trivia is Randy Oglesby plays both of the Miradorn twins. So when we are seeing the twins, it's actually a special effect uh, of the same actor huh. being mirrored. So, yeah, you didn't pick that up in 1993. There is one particular shot I'm going to point out where you can tell that that's happening. But other than that, I thought they did it pretty seamlessly. So our guest stars this week include Cliff DeYoung as Crowden. Um, Cliff DeYoung did three episodes of The Practice in our other show, The Out of Practice Podcast. And, of course, Randy Oglesby as the, the Miradin, Miradorn twins. Uh, but you think, Randy Oglesby, I feel like I know that guy from Star Trek. Well, you do because he plays Degra on Enterprise on 11 episodes. He plays Kier in Voyager's Counterpoint. He plays a scholar in Loud as a Whistle in Next Generation and will return for another episode of Deep Space Nine. Uh, lots of Trek. So, uh, Mike, I think it's time to uh, hop into the theater and uh, talk about this episode. What do you say? I can't wait, Keith. Let's do it. Ba -ba 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 and I will say, uh, from my experience of watching Mike watch this episode, uh, the singing doesn't stop. So... <laughs> It keeps going, which uh, I was so there for. That I might at least watch that part of it every week. So, oh man. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about this teaser here for Vortex. It begins with Odo chatting with Quark about the arrival of a ship of Miradorn raiders. Odo is naturally suspicious uh, that they and Quark will be up to no good. And uh, so here is multiple pictures of Odo being suspicious, Quark being suspicious, but Odo is also suspicious of a new guy from the Gamma Quadrant named Crodin. And you can clearly tell uh, that dude is shifty. Mm -hmm. The Miradorn Raiders enter and nod at Quark. And Odo reacts, of so course. So you're telling me this is this the is same dude? Same dude. So this is an effects shot. Of the two of them composited together. But this is I'm glad that you got this shot because it's it's perfect. Basically, they come across, they nod at Quark, and then they continue and they they walk past and the camera follows them. 
if you go back and watch this shot, you'll notice that once the guy in the foreground passes in front of the camera, his brother disappears. Uh. So uh, it's a it's an effect shot that they didn't complete entirely. There's a few frames where you can tell that the other one disappeared when he walked in front of them. Uh, it's very subtle. I, I only noticed it the second time I watched it, but uh, it's... It is interesting to see, like, he just gets, you know, he goes into the vapors like we do sometimes. So, uh, Quark then accuses Odo of being uh, endlessly over-suspicious and paranoid. And this is where he assumes that Odo's entire species must be the same way. So, so you mentioned you were like, oh, uh, we got a lot of exposition here. Yeah, I did. <laughs> Insightful. I already said it. I already said we got. I mean, it's basically everything. He's like, I was like, why would they bring up his 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 species already? Why would he bring up these two dudes? Uh, but luckily, I missed it anyway. So uh, I'm, no, I'm glad no, the episode exists. I mean, I and looking at the uh, the costume design and the and the creature design for the Mirador and Raiders, there's it's it's funny because like part of it looks sort of cool and intimidating. You've got that gray sort of hollow faced. Cardassian look there and then like the black and gray it's a good color scheme but then it sort of looks like it what I would look like if I were in that costume like it was sometimes I wonder because it's not always the case but a lot of times on these week to week episodes at least I think they they're like you know what we did such a cool facial design for this new species or whatnot don't don't get too complicated with the costuming because we want the focus to be up top Plus, because of the aspect ratio, we're going to be shooting a lot of this in close-up anyway, so like we don't got to worry about the suit so much. Right, yeah, no, totally. I think it's, it's uh, as, as a bellied American, I think I would have appreciated those colors to be flipped a little bit. Yeah, but, horizontal uh, stripes, not great. <laughs> and actually, uh, if, I, if I move the, uh, move the screenshot up, like, it kind of looks like they're wearing diapers. So... <laughs> At least it's partial sweatpants. At least, it's 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 not <laughs> great. Great facial prosthetics. Great look for the guy. That costume. I think I would have had notes for the costumer <laughs> had it been me. So uh, we continue. Quark lays that pretty heavily. So uh, then we watch Rom assemble four glasses and a bottle of something. Then the camera shifts back and uh he there are five glasses did you did you pick up I on did that not, Mike? no yeah so there's there's a shot we we see a close-up on rom putting four glasses on the tray he goes and grabs the bottle and it, camera follows him then comes back puts the bottle it's all one shot and then of course there are five glasses on the table which i guess is the setup for a punchline that quark has in a little bit because right, doesn't we don't we go to black with him being like five glasses for only four people? That's his big concern of the. Well, but you realize what the fi- what the fifth glass is. Maybe I don't. It's Odo. Oh yeah. So so that's that's what happened there is Odo shifted into one of the glasses and that that's why he shows up in the meeting later. Uh, Good for you. But uh, yeah, I mean it's. I have I have questions about the physics of it all. I mean, the the, the changing thing has always been like, 
how do you how does your mass change how do whatever well, right because it, it it defies the conservation of ma- like of energy and mass right like you can't lose you, it to 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 like shrink like that you're would have to dissipate some of your energies it would have to go some I don't, I don't know yeah or else the glass would have to be super dense and it would be like a 200 pound glass right, but i don't i don't really know what what Keith the deal space, is also space Keith. space space yeah what well, also the that there's the element of Okay, so Rom had his back turned, and uh, it, we always see Odo change. It, change. it takes like three or four seconds whenever we see him change on camera, but off camera he can do it instantaneously. But also, he's in a crowded bar. Mm-hmm. If I turned from my full body to goo and then to a glass, I feel like somebody would notice that in a crowded room. Well, you, ch- but, you, anything involving you and goo, Keith, nobody wants to pay attention to. That, that is for damn sure. Uh Anyway, so it's uh nonetheless, it's cool, it's clever. I like I like the sort of um little Easter egg there if you paid attention and noticed that the fifth glass was there or not. Uh, Mike swapping out headphones because uh, that's the type of professional that he is. So uh the other thing you can notice in the back of the shot as we're coming back uh is right as we're coming back, you'll notice two extras sort of awkwardly stepping over the bulkheads on the bottom of the floor because i remember how we talked about this before that you the the doorways don't go all the way to the ground so you have to step about a foot over the bulkheads there and you see the extras sort of awkwardly stepping over it in the background there so if you're interested in watching uh extras navigate an impractical set keith did you enjoy on the watch along that i could not come up with the word fabergé egg uh, it was it was pretty funny, yeah. And I, but it took me a second too. Uh, but yes, it was Fabergé egg is what you were looking for at the beginning of Act One, where the Miradorn Raiders are negotiating with Quark over a spangled Easter egg or Fabergé egg, depends on how you uh, care to describe it. And Rom shows up with the glasses, and uh, but uh oh. Quark says the buyers backed out because this Fabergé egg is clearly stolen. The Raiders are pissed at Quark. Then, uh-oh, Croden shows up with a phaser. And uh, he's acting very oddly, and he tries to steal the egg. There is a fight. The glass breaks, and of course, it's Odo. And uh, one of the twins is killed as he shoots the phaser here. Great shot. Uh, and uh, Odo, of course, breaks it up. So, so it, it, you didn't track that it was Odo was one of the glasses that broke. No, but I mean, like, he's shown a propensity to get in and being in the room where it happened. So uh, I wasn't totally shocked. Also, but what I did pick up is that he's strong as hell. He picked that guy right up off the ground. Yeah, yeah, Odo's super strong. Um, and we're going to have... There is one little question in this episode about the physiology of Odo and whether something that happens in here is possible because it doesn't seem like it's possible later in the series, but we won't get to it yet. Uh, but actually, in this in this shot here, you can see that silver part we were sort of saying well, didn't look great in that shot looks much better close up. You see, there's a lot more detail and movement in the silver part there, and I think that this is where the the prosthetics and makeup were designed to look good in standard definition on your smaller TVs, that kind of stuff. 
Whereas I feel like a lot of these costumes lost out um, by not being in higher definition. Because even if you weren't as close up, in high def, you'd be able to see that detailing and it wouldn't look so diapery, I think. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. So anyway, uh, there you go. You get a good shot of that makeup. There's Quark. And uh, yeah, he's super dead. He's merely uh, most sincerely dead. And uh, they certainly were smart there because now they don't have to do any special effects shots of the two of them together. So uh, there's Bashir. He's dead. They go to Cisco's office, and the Mirrodorn twin, the surviving one, is very upset about his brother being killed. Apparently, Mirrodorn twins are symbiotic as well, um, which is... an an interesting little wrinkle here to it's much more than you killed my brother. He sort of describes it as like half of himself, which uh, is usually metaphorical. But in this case, I guess it's, it's practical. It's real. Um, Except that outside of that interesting wrinkle, it, it, it doesn't, I guess, explain, it doesn't, it doesn't really mean anything else. I mean, like we've met trail, so we, it, we could get into the, We don't get into the weeds about it. And it doesn't, like, up the stakes about the legal ramifications. <clears throat> it's just sort of, this guy's a little extra pissed. He's like, well, I mean, it has to explain why he goes to such lengths to try to get revenge. Um, but because we set up that they were sort of bad guys anyway, that yeah. the Mirrodorns are, like, like tough, aggressive, whatever, it's like, like Nausicans or something, like, we, we, we get it. Mm-hmm. Um but it, it's a wrinkle. I'll take it. Uh, but you want who won't take it? Odo. Odo has zero sympathy. Like, your brother is dead. I don't give a shit. You were trying to sell stolen property. Yeah, Odo's so. got a little Kira in him this episode. He's pissed at everybody. He's not having it. He is not having it. Uh, Cisco tells him to the Mirador to return to his ship, but not leave the station. And uh, he reinforces that his only purpose in life is now to get revenge on Crodon. Uh, yeah, see, it's tough to... That costume's tough. Anyway, <laughs> Keep, that, that costume his, really upset. Do you just import yourself into every costume and then make your decisions based on what you think you might look like in it? Uh, more specifically, what costumes would I look fat in? All right. That's really... Folks... <laughs> You've seen on our other shows, us in our favorite Star Trek uniforms. Mm-hmm. We need another custom Star Trek person out there to to design Keith in a Mirador <laughs> uniform with the spangles, with a belly. We need the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> so so Mirador minus the girdle. <laughs> Great. Oh, no. You know, I'm I'm sure Chris would have done it, but he would done it realistically, but he didn't have enough resin to to fill it out. Uh, anyway, uh, oh, insecurities are right here on the surface. I just I came out of therapy. Okay, you know, here I am. This is me. Anyway, 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 enough of that. Uh, so Quark talks his way out of jail because he wasn't going to sell the stolen egg. Which, to be fair, is true. He was saying, hey, I think this is stolen. I'm not going to take this. But Odo, perpetually suspicious Odo, doesn't buy it and points out that, hey, uh, how did he, how did that guy get a Ferengi phaser? So 
Hmm. Odo. Just, eh, Odo. But I think Odo might have a point. Well, you know what his answer and, was, Keith? What was that? I dodo. <laughs> I just beamed out of the episode if you're listening to the audio version of this. Yeah, that's what no. Ben Ben had the same reaction to my joke. Yes, that he is making the exact correct. Oh my god, where were we? Okay, so uh Rom helpful helpfully makes it clear that Cork totally set up the robbery. Uh, Odo and Cisco. Yeah, thank God Rom and, is Rom now, because I, I didn't know he was even going to be a character on the show, but he's awesome. He's funny. Ron's fun. Yeah. Rom, Rom. Rom is fun. <laughs> Ron. And is always creating chaos. Um, and uh, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna go on some fun adventures with Rom. All right. I like it. So now we're gonna let's go back. Let's go hang out with this guy who is perpetually, I guess, used to being held captive. He really is cocksure that he can chitty chat his way out of anything. Yeah, well, you know, chitty chat's what we do. Uh, so Odo and Cisco meet Croden in the brig. Croden recognize, recognizes Odo's species and calls him a changeling. This is big news. Uh, he claims to have seen changelings before. I think we should point out uh, that Croden is from the Gamma Quadrant, not the Alpha Quadrant. Uh, so that's kind of important. So, uh, back at Quark's, Odo arrives to casually continue interrogating Quark. Who's very, he's giving me vibes of Dr. Ian Malcolm from Jurassic Park 1. Just, like, handsome, hanging out, just chilling. He's, he's very chill. It's, it's, it's so, so rare you get to, like, really chill Changeling life finds a way, baby. Changeling life finds a way. Yeah, it's too bad he just didn't have a super deep V. Well, he was doing it. He's got upside. He's got more of a U, but yeah. Well, and he's and he's wearing the unitard jammies that were everybody wears in Star Trek. That just when in doubt, just go with footy pajamas. Which you have to imagine, everybody's colors. wearing those. And I think to myself, it must make there must be. And since we don't talk about the bathrooms very often, mm-hmm, just mm-hmm. taking a a pee seems very complicated. Yeah, yeah, because it because. If, if you gotta like disrobe. Going, yeah, I mean, like if you gotta use the urinal, you have to be completely buck ass naked. And you need a buddy. You're like, could you get my zip? <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Uh, so, Odo continues interrogating Quark. Odo's theory is that Quark was going to help Croton get back through the wormhole if he robbed the Miradorns for him. Uh, but we never did hear how Croton got to the station, did we? Uh, not, not, no, yeah. I, I don't, I don't remember that. Uh, so they are interrupted, and they find out that uh, sec- uh, security calls, and we see that the Miradorn is blocking Odo's office to protest. Odo runs him off and goes back to chat with Croton some more, which I think is what's happening in these screenshots. So uh, Croton tries to chat up Odo by pointing out their similarities, uh, being from the Gamma Quadrant and being alone, although we do not know yet if Odo is from the Gamma Quadrant or not. But Croton says that the changelings are distrustful of other species. Seems to track. Seems to track. Right. 
that the changelings were driven off of his homeworld, and he says he knows where there are some left. Naturally, he says he has to show Odo himself. Uh, Croden then shows Odo his necklace, and it has a little goo thing that changes like Odo does. Whoa. So that's, uh, that's important. So Cisco in Act 2, Cisco and Dax arrive in orbit of Croden's home planet. They try to make contact um, to figure out what to do with Croden. And uh, Avery Brooks pronounces homicide, homicide for some reason. Yeah, that was weird. They make con. Yeah, they, you know, these, these things happen. Uh, they make contact, and the guy from Croden's planet is pissed and says Croden is an enemy of the people. And apparently, he's a super criminal and uh, he is not friendly. So they asked to be uh, you're well ahead. Extradited. Here are some screenshots. Let's let's catch up here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Screenshots are behind. Yeah, now he's oh wait, he was hungry. He was, so he was hungry. His food. Uh, do you think? Do you so think on the replicator they're like prison food? <laughs> like give, give you shitty food? Yeah, because it looked like he was eating slop. It did look like he was eating slop, but I, I mean, I guess like we've talked about this before with the replicators. Like, if you're just converting whatever from your matter storage, it really just comes down to the recipe. And, like, why wouldn't they all, I mean, I'll have decent recipe. We're in a world past, like, commerce or whatever. Like, you shouldn't have slop. What I liked about the writing here, since we backed up a little bit, uh, uh, what I've liked about the writing of this scene was that even though he's got this changeling key, there's still sufficient evidence for Odo to be suspicious because it all seems very convenient. You happen to know all of this. You happen to have been to the Changeling Planet. You happen to have exchanged items with them. Uh, And all of this can be mine for the nominal fee of letting you out of prison. So I, his, because generally you'd be like, oh my God, you clearly want to know about this. He's got some evidence, jump at the chance. But it was all presented so conveniently that also they were able to distinct, make a distinction between convenient for TV or convenient in in the arc and it, it definitely was the latter it felt like to me yeah no and i i you know the other thing about this and i i think when, when we talk about wormholes in the plot i think croden's backstory like one once the story starts it all makes sense and it's all it's all great it's all tracks but we don't really know how we got on the station we assume that he wants to get back to the gamma quadrant Right, but we learn later that he's on the run, so why would he want to? But regardless of where he wanted to get to, there had to be ways to get somewhere without doing a holdup for Quark. Yeah, except, hold on, something, a neuron fired. Um, (laughs) What is the exposition in the beginning regarding the Vulcans? Because I know how there's there's a tie-up at the end with the Vulcans, but in the beginning, somebody says something about the Vulcans... Or transporting something. And it feels like maybe they stowed away on that ship. Oh, that's interesting. I don't think I caught that. Well, folks, uh, <laughs> people who apparently need to watch more closely than I do. Uh, yeah, uh, fill in that hole in the wormhole for me on the comments below. Yes, please. Uh, because that would make sense, right? If he stowed away on a Vulcan ship to get through the wormhole, 
that would make sense. It would certainly wouldn't make sense that he'd want to go back through the wormhole, but that's a supposition that Odo does. So we don't actually even know that. Um, so yeah, all right, that that would make sense. So if if your neuron was uh, telling the truth, that makes a lot of sense, and I I, I will retract my wormhole. Um, but if not, then uh, I won't. So, uh, yeah, so, I mean, the effect here of the, the transition wasn't great, but the little goo thing in the necklace, it's a very cool idea. For sure. Mike's looking it up. So, uh, although don't, don't look up anything in the future. No, no, just this episode. Okay. So, in Act 2, uh, like I said, Cisco and Dax go to Croden's home planet. They try to figure out what the deal is, uh... We find out that Croton's a super criminal, and they're sort of like, you know, give me this guy. Cisco says, okay, yup, and I will see you in 52 hours back with Croton. And there's a great, uh, <laughs> Avery Brooks is probably thrilled about <laughs> that screenshot. What'd you find, Mike? Uh, nothing. There's no mention of nothing. it in the, t in the summary I was reading, but I, I'm, I might go back myself, because I'm pretty sure I heard something. The Vulcans don't just come up at the end. They're, they're, something's mentioned in the beginning. Okay. All right. I, I, that would make perfect sense. I just missed it. Uh, okay. So we have our little showdown with the guy there. Nice establishing shot of the station. And back in the infirmary, Bashir confirms that the goo necklace is indeed alive and similar to Odo biologically, uh, which is really interesting. Mm -hmm. um, Odo... Then of course interesting, goes but back. then not particularly satisfactory. As it well, we'll talk about it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's he says it's a distant cousin. It's it could be a whatever. Well, I mean, we're not going to get a, uh, an answer to it in one episode, Mike. No, but it's like, how does it know that it only unlocks that one thing? How do you like establish that? Like, how did he set the lock? Like, eh, the whole thing is a little weird. Well, I mean, just how do you make any key, right? Just this is a key that is done this way. Right, but the, it seemed like he used that key for the lockbox. Like, I guess he purchased the lock. It seemed like he got the key separate to the box, but now it seems like they're a package deal. Right. Well, and the, the question, is this a master key? Mm. Or is this like, you know, some like great thieving tool where you would stick this into any lock and it would open any thing which is would make it crazy valuable and yeah super cool. but it would wouldn't it make it and this is a conversation for another time but wouldn't that make it it it, it couldn't then probably be related to the changeling at least not what we know of them via odo because that seems and the antithesis of his sort of very uh structured morals when it comes to security well i don't think they were saying it's conscious I don't. I don't think they're saying like this thing has a has like thoughts and feelings. It's it's just life that it. I mean, because honestly, like you, you take a banana here, and we're somewhat related because it it, it evolved on our planet, right? Because I don't they say like we we share like eighty percent of our genetic code with the banana or a tree or whatever. I could be wrong. <laughs> I hope that someone out there has the time and wherewithal to dissect the sentence Keith just said. No, 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 no! It's <laughs> no, totally true. What you said I'm, was I'm not lying. What you said was 
isn't the saying, doesn't the saying go, we share 80% of our DNA with a banana or a tree or something? <laughs> That's why you come here for that. It's insightful. I, I think it's true. Anyway, I'm going to look it up. I'm going to look it up. We do, I, I believe, share... I'm sure. How much of our genetic <laughs> code? Yes. How much of our genes are the same as a banana? Ha! Right here. It actually shows up. It's fifty percent, but it's a. Uh, but it, it, we we share fifty percent of, of our genes with plants. Bananas have forty one forty four point one percent of the genetic makeup common in humans. All right. So I mean, so my numbers were off, but the constant there is a saying about banana specifically. Redemption. Well, you know what they say uh, about that. You should uh, forget it. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna continue that. I was looking for my beam out button again. I knew. I knew whatever that was. Well, what well, you could have done is instead of I told you so, you could have said banana na boo. Uh, forget it. Let's go. Let's let's move. Okay, so I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna do the rest of the show from an empty box. Uh, okay, where we were want we? you to live. We want you to live. Okay, fine, fine. All right, so uh, after finding out that Odo was related to a banana, uh, he uh, goes back to meet up with Croden again. He says he found Croden says he found the necklace with a uh, on a with a bunch of changelings uh, on an asteroid belt in a vortex that he discovered by accident, and only he knows how to get through it. And only he knows how to get there. And uh, conveniently, Cisco tells Odo to escort Croden back to his people, ostensibly for execution. Uh, so that's convenient. They need to be careful, however, to get past the Miradorn, who is still waiting on the station for an opportunity to take out Croden. And they do an interesting gag where Odo hides the runabout behind a departing freighter to mask their departure. Heidi hides. Uh, Heidi hide. Heidi hides. And a, and a cool effect. Yeah. I don't know if you got a screenshot of it, but I, I thought it looked pretty cool. There, you go. there it is. Uh, I thought, you know, again, these are at this point still models that they're compositing together and I thought looked really good. So in Act 3... They go through the wormhole. Uh, in the runabout, Croden reminds Odo that he doesn't fit in. Mind games. Croden says that on his home world, uh, so he get, Croden gives his backstory. How did he end up a political enemy? That the authorities murdered his wives and claimed him to be a political enemy. So they're in some sort of authoritarian world. Um, and he did kill the guys who killed his wives. Uh, and it was a uh, it was a good monologue. Seemed credible. He uh, we had we had another uh, what we would call on our other show the bloody gurgles monologue where he uh, talked about slitting their throats with a knife that he kills fowl. So apparently on this planet they have work capabilities, but they're still killing chickens with a knife. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, you know that's that's where we are. But I thought it was a good monologue. It seemed seemed credible. I bought it. Yeah, and more importantly, Renee buys it or Odo buys it and he does he does a lot of great subtle acting because though you can see he's moved emotionally 
he's able to hold up his Odo facade, which I thought was uh, made for a more credible and powerful emotional beat. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, back in the station, the naturally, the Mirador. Oh, yeah. So there's sort of Renee's reaction to that. Very subtle and yet very. Uh, you know, Renee's ability to act through the prosthetics mm-hmm. is remarkable um, because he has to do it almost entirely with his eyes. And because of Odo's sort of character characterization, he doesn't move his face very often. Right. Um, and it's it really speaks to the caliber of actor that you have in order to have all of that emotion through all of that. So uh, back on the station, the Mirador is pissed and blames Quark. Oh, that's powerful. Quark th- yeah. Quark immediately throws Odo under the bus and says he'll help the Miradorn find Croden. Uh, and in this, Rom has a funny gag, pushing his face up against a wall during the conflict. Um, so after he leaves, so they do uh, the security chips to find out where Odo is, what's going on. Uh but after that, Rom realizes, uh-oh, they're, we're screwed because Quark is now concerned he might get Odo Go back killed. one. This is my favorite TV trope, which is a... Or one more. Forward. Two forward now. Oh, four. The... Okay, we're going to need you to hold that because clearly he knows what this is. But we're right. going to need you to hold it up in front of your face, perfectly frame it for the camera, and then use it. Mm-hmm. That's my favorite. One of yes, my favorites. Yes, yes. Is this cat food? Let me see. Mmm, fancy feast. Mm. <laughs> Precisely. Uh, but of course, of course, Rom realizes they're screwed. Odo, uh, yeah, because and Quark is concerned he might get Odo killed because he won't give up Croden to the Miradorn. So basically, he's like, Odo's out there. He's transporting them. They're in a runabout. The Miradorn ship is faster, and so Quark here. And Quark's whole story in this episode is a little dicey, mm-hmm. right? Because he sets up a robbery, which gets somebody literally killed and gets away with it. And now he's setting up Odo to be killed. Well, because he knows Odo. He says it. Odo won't give up the prisoner. Right. He's not going to give the prisoner. And, and so what is he going to do here? So it's, I, I think in the last like four episode Quark's, ethics have have taken a dive yes and the, well, uh, it's, it's not well the, we'll say this the rules have been muddy they were presented one way and then seemed to change slightly but in if you want if we boil it all the way down in this circumstance i guess you could the out is to say that when it comes to a life and death scenario quark will always bargain for his own so in this case he sacrifices odo to protect he and Rom. So, yes. Well, and that's he's always going to look out for number one, but rarely does he quite so nakedly put his best friend in peril as he does yeah. here. Um. Anyway, continuing on an ops, they realize the Mirador ship is leaving, and they try to slow him down, but no dice. The uh, ship leaves and goes through the wormhole, and. Uh, I mean, I know they had to have a scene of them slowing them down, but it felt a little bit like filler because they weren't actually doing anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it just set up this beautiful shot. Yeah. And uh, the uh, the effects of the uh, 
the runabout in the, the wormhole and, and in the asteroid field was really the cool wormhole too. and then and so this is the effect from wrath of Khan oh. that they reused here so obviously not the runabout but the uh the vortex effect that's you know the the scenes where where Khan and, and the Enterprise are sneaking around through it, trying to the sort of submarine sequence takes place in this. Uh, just flipped. So uh, here we are next. Four Croden tries to convince Odo to try and find his people in the vortex rather than take him back to his homeworld, and he tells Odo more about his people. Uh, but before they can get too far into it, there's Renee's conflicted face. Uh, and he's still talking, talking. Uh-oh, the Miradorn ship shows up and starts firing. We do a lot and of shaky shaking in our seat. A lot of shaky shaking in our seat, which, of course, uh, Mikey realized how they did that. Yeah, you, you shake the camera, and then you shake this, and they had, like, a, a scale of 1 to 10 for the actors. Oh, yeah? That's like, funny. Yeah, they're like, shake it a 1. Shake it a 10. Wah! You know, and it was a... It was, it was. They were supposed to be able to calibrate. All right, give me a six. Uh, let's see. How about what's this? Well, and that's how you you composited the two of them together. So you shake the camera, then you shake the actors, and that way you can't tell uh, nothing's actually shaking. Huh, all right. The set is not on a gimbal. So anyway, uh, usually it looks pretty good, all things considered, for as low tech as it is, in the same way they did it back on the original series. Uh, anyway, I thought the battle here looked pretty good. Yeah, for sure. Um, and again, this is 1993. And I like that they gave the Miradorn teeth, you know? It's not, it, they, it, they're, they put up a good fight. Yeah, no, and they, and they were, they were there for the kill. They were not there to, uh, to screw around. Um, so. They're gonna get theirs, this though, battle, They're gonna get theirs. They're gonna get theirs. So, it, this is also, I think this sequence is interesting where Odo has to hand over control of the ship uh, to Croden to fly because we realize some of Odo's limitations. Mm -hmm. He's not in Starfleet. He's not a pilot. He doesn't know how to do some of these things. So he's not like one of those, like, everybody's secretly an amazing pilot. Everybody secretly has all of these abilities. Odo has limitations. Well, and I think it also... that's an interesting thing about the character. It also adds a little nuance well, because... It in this because you know, uh, Croden said that he knew this this uh, asteroid field very well. So in he, in this case, he proves it. It allows Odo to have to trust him. Basically, he was his hand was forced. But regardless, he then sees. Oh, okay. So maybe if he's telling truth about this, maybe there's truth to other things, which makes his discovery in a couple beats even smarter when it when it clicks over. Because I think this gives him yeah. the oh, I really want to believe him now. Yeah, yeah. Well, he, you know, he's he's one of those one of those characters who starts out. He's very cavalier because, like, I don't think you're going to believe anything I'm going to say. And then when you have that twist where he starts telling the truth, we have this credibility arc on the character. Um, anyway, so uh, he releases Croton to fly the ship. Naturally, their only choice is to go through the vortex. After all, and we find out there are volatile gases. Uh, of course, in the vortex. So they have to go slowly, and uh, they decide to hide by landing on the asteroid where he says he found the Changeling Colony, which is a great place to end Act 4. And here are some of the inside of the battle. Here's some of the 
the battle here, and then here they are on the uh, the asteroid. The landed ship model looks great. Yeah, it looks great. It it also looks like they landed the model in that same place where uh, in Alamoraine we ended that episode. Well, it, although although this is the miniature of that, um, but it 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 conveniently matches the the cave set that they use. They they have that one basically static. Mm-hmm. Um, on stage, whatever, and we see it on every Star Trek ever. <laughs> They're gonna go through that cave set over and over and over and over again. <laughs> um, but the miniature here looks great. Um, so uh, they get there. Croton immediately runs off, and Odo chases him through <laughs> said cave set. And we find that there is no changeling colony. And that it was all a lie, and the changelings were just stories told on his homeworld. He thought that the changelings were a myth until he met Odo. Um, which I love. Yeah, that's great. That twist. I love that backstory because we're continuing to spin the mystery. We're dropping a little. We're dropping some information, but we don't know if it's true. You know, it's a myth, but we know that they've heard of similar things. So. Um, it speaks to the patience that this show has on slowly unraveling the story. Um, and it's going to be, you know, spoiler alert, it's going to be a big part of the series um, moving forward. So uh, turns out the necklace turns out to be a key, like we said, and uh, it opens a stasis chamber for Croden's daughter, who was the only member he could save. They open the chamber, and the daughter wakes up. Croton agrees to go home if Odo takes the daughter to safety. So this whole thing wasn't even to save himself. His plan was to get Odo to rescue his daughter, who was in the stasis chamber hidden on the asteroid. I thought it was a good beat that they didn't make us wait until the daughter beat for Odo to be like, this is all BS. Like, he, he sniffs it out instantly. Uh, or at least thinks he sniffs it out. So I thought that was great that he reverts. I thought it was good for the story arc that he reverts a little bit in his trustingness so that he can once again have to be find out that he has to that he was wrong, basically. Yeah, well, and it's it's interesting that there are a lot of layers in this story. And of course he's like he's lying constantly to try to get here. And and from and from Croton's standpoint, it's like what what do you have to do? to get to which is actually explains why he'd want to go back through the wormhole to get his daughter right yeah so uh what does he need to do especially where he starts out from he starts as a murderer in prison how do i get from there to a specific asteroid in this vortex to save my daughter and he finds a way to do it and i think credibly so and i think the next couple of beats we're about to talk about really show because to be fair, what, what's the actor's name who plays this character, Groden? Uh, it is... Yeah, come on. Where is he? Oh, Cliff DeYoung. Yes. I find that Cliff gives a, a, a very solid performance throughout. Um, but what I find... But he's obviously... You, you're always sort of like Odo. You're a little, you're a little off-kilter about which what's true, what's being embellished upon what is a tactic which is great performance but where i really think he he reels it in and gives his most solid performances in this next beat here where at no point 
do you actually feel like he's spinning a yarn in order to get them set free? It looks like he he completely is convincing that he just wants his daughter safe. So when Odo makes his ultimate decision, the surprise and appreciation he feels also feels earned. And that's tough to do. Right. It it that the the manipulation was to save the daughter, not himself. Yep. And and I think that that's clear by the end of it. Yeah. Which I think is is. I think cool. in lesser I hands, like it. it might not have been as clear. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. So uh, they're here. They meet the daughter. The Miranorn starts firing on the asteroid, and Odo is knocked out by falling rocks. And this is the, this is the part where I. I'm curious how Odo's knocked out uh, because you get knocked out by hitting your head, having a concussion, messing with your brain. Well, Odo doesn't have a brain. I mean, in a, in a literal sense. And like, who's to say his brain is here and not in his foot and not as on his whatever. So I, I feel like that would be him being knocked unconscious by a rock feels a little i'm not convenient i'll put it that way well unless uh, whatever form he takes once he establishes that form all the bips and bops are in the correct place they would be for that form maybe it's one to one well that certainly would make sense and and matches up with so when the when the glass when he was the glass and the glass shattered he shattered he took on the the properties of the thing he was yeah so now if i was him and i'm just trying to look human maybe i put my brain somewhere else where it's less uh vulnerable but uh nonetheless uh I, you know i think you might have fixed it i think you fixed it good job because he didn't see so, the rock coming right because obviously no he would goo up before it hit him if that was the other right right so uh cool so uh anyway odo gets knocked out croton decides to save odo and returns him to the runabout, um, and they keep being chased. Now, of course, this is where we we get a sense of Croden's ethics too, because from his standpoint, leave Odo there, take the runabout, and zip off, and you can you know go go be free and never have to never have to worry about this. But he decides to save Odo and thus keep himself in the prospect of captivity. Well, but also uh, he sees the daughter seeing the, the behavior because he almost doesn't save Odo. And then, so you mm. still are left with like a little bit of a, if she weren't there. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, so they uh, they get the runabout and they head back out and they keep being chased. And this is where Odo has the bright idea, right? So, uh there's these uh, explosive gases all through this, and uh, all he has to do is go in there, sneak into it, get the Mirador to shoot at it, and uh, blow themselves up. Boom! Gas field in Star Trek 101. And uh, he so, am I to, to understand bluff. that once they sh- they're in the gas bubble, once they shoot mm-hmm. before the shooty shoot could even make it to the runabout, it's going to blow up their ship? Is that what I'm assuming? That's what I'm hearing. Uh n- no, I think I think what they did was they they put the runabout right next to the gas, mm-hmm. and the Miradorn went into it, and when they fired, it blew up. But but they were able oh, to get okay. out of it before the fireball hit, because the assumption was the Miradorn didn't know that the gas field was flammable, was going to blow up. I think that's what it is. Um. Anyway, naturally, uh. 
again, cool effects here with the the backlit silhouettes of the ships. I think the the Mirador ship looks pretty badass. Um, I like it, and what a great shot! Look how look how effective. Yeah, it's great. Fire is so hard to do, uh, special effect wise, and I thought that looked really good. Naturally, the plan works. Boom, Miradorn. There we go. Uh, this is when Croton asks Odo to take care of his daughter. He says, just take care of my daughter. You can take me back, and I'll go be executed on my planet. Then, uh, out of the blue, the Vulcans show up and offer assistance. So Odo here is forced to make a choice. And he decides to give Croton and his daughter to the Vulcan ship to save them. And just say, hey, would you take these two back to Vulcan? Whatever. And then he says he'll tell Croton's people that they were killed in the battle in the asteroid. Now, some might argue, Keith, some mm-hmm. might argue that this was not a chivalrous act on Odo's part. And he just did not want to have to raise a young girl. I could have. Well, I'm sure he could have found somebody more appropriate, although that was Croton's plan. To have Odo raise her. And um, Odo was like, but, uh, I don't know. And he's like, you are lonely. And Odo's like, I don't know that those are completely compatible thoughts, but okay. Well, that happened. And then like Rick Berman came in like with a note from Paramount saying, we are over budget. Yes. No more series regulars. So I think that's probably what happened as well. Uh, so yeah, but it's a very interesting ethical um, decision for Odo. And out of Odo's character thus far, because Odo has been very by the book, by the law, by the right and, you know, very black and white thinking in his terms of his morality. So it's an interesting choice for Odo and a development of his character to see him make this choice. And uh, so Croton gives Odo the necklace. Then the girl recognizes Odo as a changeling. Um, which is very interesting. And Odo smiles for the first time on the series. And uh, so they beam off, and Odo heads for And he says, oh. well, and he does a completely out loud monologue, but then, I, which I found curious, but turns out it wasn't out loud to himself. It was to his cousin. He says, hopefully I'll see it you is- soon, cousin. Yes, and... Uh, as he heads to home, but doesn't know where home is. And we continue the mystery of what is, where is Odo. So uh, there we go. That is the episode Vortex. And uh, it is now time for everybody's favorite vocab quiz. Mike, shall we do it? Let's do it. And now it's time for Mike and Deglio's Star Trek Vocabulary Quiz. Okay, your first vocab quiz is, what is a Miradorn Raider? Well, Keith, a Miradorn Raider is a slightly over-budget effect creature that is uh, a twin with another guy, and they are a pair that are a species that have bulgy diaper pants, and Keith hates them because they would make him look chubby. Affirmative. <laughs> Close enough. <laughs> okay, now this one's hard. I hope Mike. someone is compiling a compendium of all of my definitions. 
Mike's Encyclopedia of Star Trek. <laughs> that would be amazing. And very wrong. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so this one's hard. This one's hard. I'm going to start. We need more music for it. All right. All right. So your vocab word is Tomer. Oh, it's funny, man. On the stream, I was trying to conjugate it into Spanish. Oh, I've forgotten. I've forgotten. Uh, make a guess. Um, Tomer means to shift, as in to, to shape shift, as a changeling would do. Okay. Inaccurate. Inaccurate. Data in error. Tomer is the gas the, in the gas pockets in the nebula. The explosive gas in the nebula. So uh, just keep in mind, if uh, if you find yourself walking through some Tomer, don't light a match. Okay, uh, you know what you know what that means. It's time for everybody's favorite. Move along, go! Okay, folks, Oof. welcome to the Alamoremis, where uh, we give some ratings and ask some more questions here about Deep Space Nine, Season 1, Episode 11, Vortex. Let us first ask, Mike, did you find any wormholes in the plot? Well timed. Yeah, Keith, nothing uh, that that popped out to me. I, I, would, I had some questions about... I don't think it's a wormhole. I thought I, I do have some questions about the key, the machinations of the key, how it mm -hmm. worked, how they set the lock. Uh, I thought it was clever. I like. I thought it was clever, but I I found that there's a convenience factor to it. Uh, but I thought it, it tied up pretty well. I don't have any f foreknowledge of how it all shakes out with changeling and the, and that stuff, so I can't I can't retrofit any of complaints. So I, it seemed mm -hmm. pretty clean to me. Why don't you tell me? Yeah, well, I I think I've mentioned most of it. Um, Odo being knocked out, that that part I wasn't sure about, but I I liked your explanation. I felt like that actually that that did add some credibility to it. So I I don't hate that right. as an explanation as to how Odo got knocked out. Um, and if the neuron that fired in your head about him having stowed away on a Vulcan ship through the wormhole. Uh, if that turns out to be true, then uh, that closes the wormhole I had of how did he get there and what was he trying to accomplish, right? So he stowed away, got out, got off his planet, but how did he get from the where he stored his daughter onto a Vulcan ship, onto a whatever? Like, I I have questions as to how we got. Yeah. to deep space not i mean to to kind of and and then on top of that and i found I, I understood why they did it in the teaser but for someone who's been a fugitive for so long and he admits to being a fugitive for so long he seems very bad at it like clearly the raiders <laughs> found him but that's not the worst of it like when he's in quark's bar odo notices him right away he's giving you shifty eyes he's looking all about he's completely non-inconspicuous so uh, which also known as conspicuous, so so he's just very bad. Suspicious, at, yeah. He's very bad at being a fugitive, who for someone who does and it so much. 
well, yeah, and it, it sort of makes sense if you look back on it. But as he, when he goes in for the stick up, if you watch him, he's like all jangly limbs mm-hmm. and about it. So he's very nervous. He would, yeah. So you know, and also that's also my issue with Quark. I think that's another wormhole too, right? Is if Quark wanted to steal the Fabergé egg from the Miradorns, having having a fake stick up with somebody you don't know is that really the best way to do it? You know, and risking people getting shot as opposed to just like steal it, hire a thief. It it was an odd way to yeah, do that. Yeah, I mean, I guess I would argue that Quark is a man of opportunity when it presents itself, right? So maybe he had no yeah. he had no sights on setting up a plan to do it, but then when this guy showed up and was like looking for an in, he's like, oh, maybe I can make this work. So maybe. Yeah, 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 I guess. It, it feels a little undercooked for a Quark scheme. For sure, for sure. Uh, so uh, that would be it. That That'd be what I have. All right. Let let's uh let's talk about our best moments here in this episode. What was your favorite moment, Mike? Um, I think, and you know, I'm a sucker. I watched the Notebook and I still cry. I think for me, from when they land on the asteroid or the Changeling asteroid through the end is my favorite bit because I think this episode specifically really sticks the landing emotionally. Now, I talked about yeah. the performances from both uh, Odo and uh, James Corden. Clifty Young. <laughs> yeah. Croton on Hudson. Croton on Hudson. Mike, 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 did you know? <laughs> did you know that you are 44.1% banana? <laughs> yeah. Orange, you glad I didn't say banana. So, I thought that so everything in the ending is really earned, the emotional beats, which I think is really powerful because it's it's a it's really a, a treatise on trust here and how mm. as much as you want to trust someone and you want to believe what they're saying, you also don't want to be manipulated. And I think Odo portrays that really well. It's a really human experience, actually, and mm. that loneliness that he's feeling and the opportunity to learn more about it and maybe discover that he's not alone and then to have been sort of played but also not played and then and still make the decisions he makes i think it all is emotional the, the emotional weight is earned and additionally i was i i garnered some pathos more respect and i am now more invested emotionally not just interested in the journey of odo so i think that last that last little bit that last act basically really did it all for me well, and I I think that this is where Deep Space Nine diverts a little bit from the patterns that we've seen in Star Trek thus far. Because Odo, I think at first glance, is in the Spock data slot mm-hmm. on the team because he's very gruff. He's very sort of straightforward and by the book and a little bit mysterious. But um, we learn in this that Odo is actually very emotional. And the defining characteristic of both Data and Spock is being unemotional. And even though he's very straight-laced, he's very by-the-book, he's very step-step-step, he's very deeply emotional. And I think that that that's a layer that we're adding here that I really, really liked. 
um, and and Renee's able to do. So it's it's not just he's like the gruff cop. He has this deep vulnerability as a character, and I think that um, makes it a vastly more interesting character. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think yes, obviously. Um, these deeper emotional beats for, for Odo are by far the coolest part of the episode, but just for the sake of not overlapping, even though the uh, flying through and getting a ship to ignite the point, the, the, the boom, boom gases in the nebula is like a star Trek trope. We've seen a hundred times. I looked great. It did look it, great. And, and, you know, being able to borrow some effects from wrath of Khan really paid off. You saw the money on the screen. It looked great. So that was my favorite part. So uh, Wait. let us. Oh, Keith, hit the rewind button. I want to talk about something else. Oh, go oh, okay. You mentioned it before, and I'm going to mention it mm-hmm. again. I, I think we need. I'm hoping that somewhere in season one here, we reestablish Quark's sort of place ethically because. Mm. We're entering a territory now where it could start to seem like he's getting a pass when he shouldn't, you know, because mm. it's starting to get to like, oh, Odo, Ferengi's gonna crime, but right. we've also established really tight security on the sh- on the station. You've got, mm-hmm. yes, I know that there's that there's a, we're in a nebulous place between Federation control, uh, Bajaran control. There's, but it still seems like Odo's pretty specific with his judicial uh arm and we've had tribunals we've had probable cause hearings we've had lots of different judicial type things happening but odo seems to always get to kind of his way off of trouble so quark does yeah quarks excuse me so uh yeah i hope we get a a firm yes i get his place on the show but mm. yeah they need to be consequences yeah no, I, I, I agree with you on that wholeheartedly, but you know what brought just joy to my heart a little bit? <laughs> is how it, No, that was definitely not it. Oh, uh, well. But, but uh, my, my, buddy, my buddy Mike and Daglia, who'd never seen much of Star Trek at all, just like tossed off, oh, you know, Federation and Bajoran control, <laughs> just taught so easily. I'm so excited. <laughs> Here I am. You're absorbing it. You're, you are... Taking in the Star Trek info like your Odo goo. I'm I'm so uh I'm delighted. I'm delighted. So uh what do you say we give some episode ratings? All right. Mike, talk about this episode. Well let me tell you this, Keith. Uh I was about to say that these uh stem bolts aren't gonna seal themselves, but turns out by their very nature as self-sealing stem bolts, <laughs> <laughs> they could. But today yeah. they don't have to, we're gonna seal it for them. Uh mm. I liked this episode quite a bit. I liked it because, despite the fact that upon retroactively watching, they set all the chess pieces in the beginning, and maybe that's a bit convenient, but that aside, I like that they were still able to keep you... Nothing was on the nose. Even the things that are seem to be on the nose, like, oh, this guy's clearly pulling Odo's leg to get what he wants, to get something, to get out there's more to it you know it turns out that he is he does have somewhat altruistic goals and he's trying to save his daughter and there's no way you see that coming and the key isn't just a a a tempting device for odo it actually turns out to have agency in the plot so everything Mm -hmm. is a lot 
is very well constructed. And I enjoy that. I really like, even if it's the plot is a little paint by numbers at times, that's television, right? And as long as it's earned and they intertwine into sort of a cohesive work at the end, I enjoy it. It doesn't, it holds up to scrutiny much better than an episode like Move Along Home that we right, dissected. For sure. Well, it's a low bar, yes. but yes. But I enjoy that. And then if you can pepper on top of that, and you talk about this all the time, if you can season in some emotional weight, and we yep. get that from an excellent, an excellent, excellent uh, performance by Rene Ambergenois on this episode. And then on top of that, if you can pepper in some seedlings in in long plot that will grow as far as the changeling everything even better mm-hmm. man what's not to like yeah plus some great special effects i like when they make the actiony actiony stuff be ship combat or space stuff yeah because that looks cool uh we only got a little bit of fight sequence in the beginning and it was you know to be it was what it is <laughs> Yeah, it's never better. I imagine it's never getting better than that. So, oh, 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 no, no. <laughs> if you're hoping for some like blood sport, yeah. you are going to be sorely mistaken. So I don't know what more you could really ask for here. I, I really enjoyed it. I don't think it reaches the heights of. Well, I don't know. What's do you have the ratings up? What's the best episode I've rated? Thank thus far. Uh, I don't have it up. I was literally just thinking I need to start a spreadsheet. Mm. Uh, I can't believe but you I, have I, it. I I know you I'm think shocked. I well, I I have so many spreadsheets, the, but I'm I'm gonna get to it. But I I think we were somewhere in the mid to high eighties. Yeah. Is the so top as we've gone. I'm so pumped because I I hear you chatter about and I've read some chatter about how how good things get after season yeah. one. So, oh man, I'm really fired up. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get out of control just yet. But I still think we're in the we got to be in the eighty eighty two. 82.43 self-sealing stem bolt type territory. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I I think that's I think that's all right. I think that's all fair. Um I think that this episode for me the first half of the episode is kind of disposable for me. The first half of the episode feels like Star Trek filler, which obviously it's not, right? It, you need you need that in order to have the second half land. Um, but for me, this episode is about the last fifteen minutes, and it's about the 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 moving the Odo's character and story forward. Um, that I think is it's an important episode from that standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, you know the the rest of it like okay yeah i've got the guy fugitive and the blah 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 and the daughter and the blah 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 like it's it it's sort of star trek basic stuff but this episode is elevated by two things one it's elevated by uh renee's performance and it's elevated by the character development and the sort of the 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 longer plot arc importance but also the character development importance uh for odo uh, which I, is is very important, and if I'm going to say like you need to understand Odo, you need to watch 15 episodes. This is one of them. Yeah, this is this is one of the ones that help you understand Odo and his whole deal. And we at this point we don't know how much of what we've learned about the changelings and Odos are they even the change? How much of that is true? How much of it is not true? We we're, we're only knowing about it in the context of a fable, right? But 
it's important. You know, what's true here is important. What's not true here is important. We don't know which one is which, but it is really interesting to see how that germinates and moves forward. So um, I think you're right in, I think you're you're dead on in 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 ratings here. So I'm going to give it 81 self-sealing stem bolts. You know what this episode kind of gets me excited about? Mm. I wonder if, and it's early in a, in the first seasons of a show to do something like this, but this the writing and the sort of confidence in the portrayals and in the characters so far seems like it could handle what this episode probably should have been, which is like a bottle episode. I felt that we we had to invite other mm. cast members in for just kind of random stuff. Like we saw Ben just to sort of deal with some political stuff about the... the t- I, I think we really mm. could have just focused on... This could have been an Odo-exclusive type episode. And I think they... Oh, yeah. They, I think they have oh, the, I like that so much. Yeah, I think they have the... They have the they have the actors to do it and they have the writing confidence to do it. I think it they just felt maybe it was too early and they were spending money on these other characters so they had to do oh, it. Oh, yes, 100%. This is the two-hander. It's the two of them on the shuttle the whole time. Yeah. The whole time. And and we and it's it's just the two of them. Like I think we should go to the planet and see the daughter, but up until that point, it should be the two of them rehashing this stuff on the shuttle. Yeah, and I and, love and the, that idea and the back and forth because that scene with with Odo feeling somewhat manipulated, but it, but slowly acquiescing to it was the most sort yeah. of best back and forth. Yeah, so I think that's should what have, I felt. Should have picked it up on the way, bringing him back to the station. Love it. All right. Well, if uh, if we decide to. <laughs> do a, uh, a our own rewrite of the entire series. <laughs> That's how we would form this episode. So next week, the episode we will be discussing will be episode 12, Battle Lines, which is an episode uh, that is not well rated, hmm. not well liked. But I actually am a, uh, a secret defender of oh, this episode. Okay. So I, I think that... The execution isn't always terrific, uh, but I really like the idea and the concept. And there is a certain uh, to-be-very-famous guest actor on this episode, which should be enjoyable. Okay. So uh, we will see you back here next week with Battle Lines. If you want to watch Mike watch Battle Lines, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash K&M. We're gonna have uh, we're gonna record an AMA soon. We're gonna record a walkthrough of uh, a, a, a Trek game, and we well, we'll do an hour. Doing... We'll do an hour, Keith, and then you can decide whether you're interested to continue. But I just want to see oh, I, how this will go. That, that's definitely as far as I'm gonna go. But uh... <laughs> but you want to There's no voice acting, so I think we're gonna also have to dust off our acting chops and 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 lend oh, voices. Great. Yeah. yeah, great. How's your great. Scotty coming along? Uh, it's not good, Captain. Uh, <laughs> if you want to hear more of that, is. here it is. Patreon.com slash K and M. And uh, we're going to be do- recording soon uh, our uh, talk through of Star Trek The Wrath of Neener. You do not want to Are we doing to that today? It. Uh, if I get the poster done. Okay. But probably not. Well, okay. we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. All right. Uh, anyway. Let's let, let's all go home. Let's move along home. Till then, this has been. Thank you for watching KM Entertainment. 
If you enjoyed our particular brand of nonsense, please like and subscribe. Or become one of our patrons at patreon.com slash KNM. <laughs>